here in a couple meetings. He and I met in New Orleans during Mardi Gras on a mission trip. So when I kind of want to be a little sassy and introducing people to us for the first time, I say, oh, I met my husband during Mardi Gras. And I just let them assume that he was going needs at me. <laughs> but that wasn't the case. TC and I met um, doing, looking at a school or visiting a school that prides itself on being social justice oriented. In fact, part of their program was that all of their students were required to do these practicums, that they were required to go out and work in some sort of environment like a, like a homeless shelter or work at a uh, housing development. And so what they did was kind of tricky, it's kind of sneaky. They were a small school and so they needed to raise money and raise awareness and they needed to invite prospective students to find, to check out the school. So what they would do is they would host a week during Mardi Gras where they would invite mission trips from local churches and they would invite their prospective students. I was there on the mission trip part TC was there to check out the school as a prospective student. He ended up actually going there. But I remember that week. Uh, I, I come from a uh, I come from a small Texan town. We don't really talk about justice. We don't really think about the needs of the urban poor. Um, I went to mostly affluent churches, and so anytime we thought about doing something for others, it was always for people in another country and overseas. Um, and so being in New Orleans and really seeing the needs of the city really engaging with the brokenness of the system, seeing the gaps in some of these systems, really started to move me to ask like, what does it look like for me as a Christian to engage in the work of justice, and is that even a value for us as Christians? So one night, I was sitting in what they call the lounge, which is kind of a common area with some current students and then my group, and so for the context, the church that we came, that we came from, we ran about 2,000 people a weekend, um, our pastor drove a Lexus. It was in a really affluent neighborhood. And so all of us were kind of asking these questions and pushing back on the students like, well, you know, when does Jesus ever really say this about justice? Is the word justice really in the Bible? And is it for today? And why can't people pull themselves up by their bootstraps? And we were all just kind of like pushing on them and asking them these questions. And um, through the course of that conversation, I noticed that there was this kind of this uh, this attitude from the students that, were, that that they shared to us that was kind of like, oh, you sweet, dumb little Christians, you don't really know, like, we're the good Christians, we, we know, we're doing the work. And so it kind of all came up, like, we were all feeling really tense with each other, and it kind of all uh, blew up when somebody stood up and she said, I'm an activist for the kingdom, and if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to be an activist too. And that, like, shut the whole thing down. Like, all of us were like, hmm, I don't want to be like you, so maybe I shouldn't come to the school, or maybe I should hold back that when we go back out the next day was going to be a day where I, we were going to a housing development and working with kids by doing sidewalk Sunday school, which I was so excited to do, but then this woman stood up and she said this, and I thought, is, is that the heart of a Christian? Is that what happens to the heart of a Christian when they start to engage in the work of justice? And they start to get, they start to get puffed up. They start to think that they're better. Does justice become the thing that they seek and not looking like Jesus, not the kingdom of God? And how is their work of justice any different than my favorite social justice activist who is uh, on Instagram or who is giving thousands of millions of dollars to their favorite organization? How are they different than Angelina Jolie? And so I really wanted to, I really wanted to kind of 
draw that in my own heart? Because what it felt like in that moment, in that lounge, it felt like 1 Corinthians 3.1, where Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, am I, I am only a ringing gong and a clinging symbol. That's what it felt like. It didn't feel like she was loving. It didn't feel like she loved the people that she was engaged with. She surely didn't feel like she was loving us. And I think that when we, as a community, start to engage how we want to engage with justice, when we start to think about how we want to practice justice, love really should be at the core of that, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk about we want to be a community that passionately loves God and purposefully seek the renewal of our city, it's rooted in the love of God that flows out of us to others. Mm -hmm. So we're in the series called Love in Public for two reasons. We as a community are inspired by the words of Cornell West that says, never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. And second, we're gearing up to reintroduce ourselves to the community as an intentional, justice-minded church. Because we are a community that values reconciliation, meeting the felt needs of our neighbor, and showing the love of God in tangible, practical ways. So that's what we're going to do today. But before we start talking about the tangible, tangible, practical ways that we can engage in justice, we're going to check our hearts. And we're going to ask ourselves, what is a posture? What does the posture of humility look like as a community? And why is it a value when you seek justice? So last week, TC gave us uh, a theological foundation for conceptualizing justice. We learned that justice is shalom, seeking and desiring the wholeness and flourishing of all people in our context. And so we, Roots, want to see wholeness and flourishing for our neighbors and for the people on the margins in St. Paul. Several weeks ago, uh, we met together to kind of ask ourselves before we started the two series that kind of went hand in hand and door and love in public, we met with some of you guys um, because we wanted to ask the question, how do we grow? How do we invite people into our community? But also, who are we? So like when we invite people in, what are we who are we telling them that we are? How are we living into our values? Um, and throughout that meeting, one idea and one word kept coming up. And it was uh, this idea that we want to be a church renowned for our passion for justice and reconciliation. So I really want us to look at that calling to seek justice, to partner with God in creating wholeness for those in need. But we're going to have to have, like I said, a different posture, one that is knitted together with love, one that looks like Jesus, one that invites people in and know that they are safe. Because really, our whole misfit thing is so grounded and based in like, we are all kind of a mess. Come be a mess with us. Mm -hmm. Humility is really a part of our church DNA. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go over some scriptures uh, that have been meaningful for so many of us when we think about justice. Then we're going to look at a teaching of humility. Then we're going to get really, really practical. So, I titled this sermon, Love, uh, Love in Public, Serve Before We Speak. A Serve Before We Speak is, uh, is a manifesto point from my book where I talk about being people who are willing to enter into a space of brokenness with humility before we jump in and say we know exactly what to do, we know exactly what to tell you, you've got to, we're here to fix you. See, in sitting in that lounge, there was this sense from every single student that because they were a student at a school that valued justice, whenever they entered into any space, they had the solution. They knew what to do. Anything that they said to do was hyper, uh, was hyper important because it wasn't just, this is the right way to budget your money. It's, this is the way God tells you to budget your mm -hmm. money. They were using the God card right and left. And so, um, 
one of the things that I am passionate about us kind of getting our brain around and figuring out how we live into it is what does it look like to serve people without an agenda? Mm. Serve people without feeling like we need to speak into their lives and tell them how to fix their lives or coming in and telling them that, mm. that we're better or that we know more, dropping the God card. What does it look like to come underneath them? Because we simply love them mm. and let the Spirit do the work that the Spirit wants to do. And when we have opportunities to speak into their lives, to show them in the way of living, to invite them into community with us, it comes out of a place of built trust. Um, Serve Before We Speak is a community promise to move through the world with a posture of humility so that we can truly listen to the needs of the brokenhearted. Serve Before We Speak is our commitment to train ourselves to move through the world as students of the brokenhearted. Mm. Serving Before We Speak means that we can seek their wholeness with authenticity and kindness and we can have long-lasting, real relationships with people that we're not in there to fix a problem and bounce, which as I got to know some of these students when they graduated, so many of their ministries, while they did so many good things, they would come in, fix something in a the neighborhood, then leave and go back. And then find another neighborhood, come in, fix something, and leave and go back. There wasn't um, a, a long-term, long-haul commitment mm. to a community of people. And That's really, good. when we look at Jesus, Jesus was in it for the long haul. That's right. He moved in and cared for the people around him. He didn't just show up, say, heal somebody, and then bounce. And so if you're interested in joining me with exploring how we can be a community, a humble community of justice seekers, will you join me in prayer? Uh, Jesus, we want to look like you. So be with us. Show us your ways of the cross that are based in love, that are willing to be humiliated, that, are, that, are, um, that bring us to a place and a posture of humility. Because we want it to be all about your renown and your goodness and your reconciliation. We want to be partners with you in this work, Lord. So we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So on that trip, um, there was a scripture that kind of became my life first. And really, guys, I can get why the students were so full of themselves and so like motivated and full of passion and how you they would want to what would cost them to want to stand up on a chair and call themselves an activist for the kingdom. I totally get it because when you encounter the word of God that shows a picture of justice and wholeness get so motivated, you get so, there's a purpose to actually being a Christian, so I totally get it. For me, it was a passage, uh, it was a passage in Jeremiah that, that implores us to seek the shalom, seek the peace of our city. But for some of you, there might be some other passages, um, like Isaiah 58, 6-9, where um, Isaiah says, it is not, on behalf of God, it's the same to the community. It is not this kind of fasting I have chosen. It's not this kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will, will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Can you imagine somebody at the very beginning of their justice journey hearing that, having this picture of everything being made right? And as everything's being made right, you're growing closer to God. That he is so close that you can sense when he says, here I am. 
for so many of us, that might have been an important passage, and so it inspires us. Another passage that guides us and, and uh, points us to practically living out justice my, is Micah 6 8. I have seen this on many a replaying wood. <laughs> he has shown you, O mankind, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. For like a J on the game, uh, on the Myers Briggs, that's like checklist. There we go. That's what justice looks like for me. And then another passage that reminds us to practically live lives that are focused towards justice, that incorporates, that connects our discipleship to Jesus with seeking justice, is the words of Jesus Himself, Matthew 25:40, when Jesus says. When, when uh, his disciples say to him, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And Jesus says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. I mean, how do you argue with Jesus, right? <laughs> so these three passages, among many others, point us to the heart of God for, uh, for seeking shalom. And so I totally get, like I said, why these students were felt so justified in their justice seeking. How they felt so righteous about the ways that they were seeking righteousness in their community. But I want us to be super mindful of the danger that that posed. Because like I said, in that very room, somebody who was just a little bit interested in justice was shut down and felt like I was inadequate and I didn't fit in. And that the only thing I, that I could do to engage with justice was move to New Orleans and do the work of these very people in exactly the same sort of way. Nadia Bowles Weber, a pastor, um, a, a planting pastor from Denver, um, and one of my favorite authors, gives us this warning. She says, while we as people of God are certainly called to feed the hungry and clothe the naked, behold, we're blessed to be a blessing thing can be kind of dangerous. It can be dangerous when we, are so, when we self-importantly place ourselves above the world, wanting to descend on those below so we can be the blessing they've been waiting for. Or like it for like it or not. How many of us kind of feel like that when the church talks about justice and we talk about engaging with justice? Like we're going to do this thing for those people, whether or not they want it. Make sure you bring your canned goods because we're going to we're going to stock that food pantry, whether or not they need more canned corn. Yeah. We're going to show up and we're going to do this thing because it makes our community feel really good to show it on Instagram. <laughs> But serving before we speak asks us to step back and have a posture of humility and really listen and really lean in and really engage because we are not interested in being a blessing because we've been blessed. We're interested in loving because we've been loved. So we want to be a church renowned for our love of justice and our love of people because we are loved by God. It is our misfit way because there is room for everyone on this journey, whether or not they're just at the beginning of it or they call themselves an activist. Um, I want to give a quick word about humility before we go into a teaching from the life of Jesus. You know, when we conceptualize humility, and we conceptualize uh, practicing humility, there is a deep hole of introspection that we can kind of stumble into when we think about you know, all the different ways that we can serve and how maybe we don't feel like we engage with it. There's also like this introspection that says like, well, what does humility really mean? Because I have a strong, I'm like, I really am trying to have like a strong self-esteem and love who I am and love my identity and I'm trying to balance that and then humility, I don't want to, I don't want to call myself a worm because I don't think that that's what God says, Imago Dei, all the things. 
And so there, it feels kind of like there's a tension. We don't really know what humility actually looks like. Humility is not putting yourself down or ignoring your own needs. Humility is not calling yourself something that you are not so that you can somehow look better to other people. Humility is not saying when you've really engaged and done the work and something great has happened from that. Humility is not you deflecting and being like, oh, no, whatever, it's just God. Humility uh, is just simply a neutralizer for our ego. When we are tempted to kind of take the, the glory and take all the... Uh, take all the, the praise for something, um, it kind of neutralizes our egos and we can say, yeah, that's, I was so excited to be a part of that thing because God led me to that. It's this way humility allows us to view what we do as not God telling us to go seek justice, but God inviting us as partners in the work of justice. By thinking less of ourselves and less of like what would make our community look really good or what would make me feel really good, we also create space and energy to learn from so I'm not questioning the appropriateness of the call of our church to speak and be a part of justice. Of course, obviously, we want to be a community that, that looks like love in public. We want to be a community that practices love in public. So I'm not saying that it's inappropriate. I'm just asking us to maybe align ourselves with a posture of humility while we do these things. Because it's our desire to look like Jesus first when we come alongside people. And it's kind of a third way, if you think about it. Of, of doing this work of justice. We're not thinking we're terrible, horrible people. We're not thinking we're worms. And we're not thinking we're the best, awesome, most amazing social justice warriors. We're thinking we're on this journey, this partnership with God. So let's look at some partners of Jesus, the disciples, and how Jesus teaches them to marry their discipleship with humility. Because even in his own community of leaders, he had to teach them that the value of humility is important if they're going to seek shalom. So let's look at Luke 22. So Luke 22, verses 25 through 30 says, A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the ones who rule like the, the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer unto you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one unto me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we're not going to get too deep into the theology of that last line of the 12 tribes of Israel. But I do want us to kind of look at Jesus' um, encouragement to be least among those, to be the servants of those um, and not the ones who sit at the table. So for context, here's what's going on when Jesus teaches this to his disciples. He had just washed their feet. So Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was the one who came underneath and loved and cared for his uh, disciples. And in Matthew's account of this uh, interaction, what kind of happened before was that um, a mother asked Jesus for a favor. And that's kind of what started this whole conversation. She was the mother of James and John, who were often called the sons of Zebedee. And she asked Jesus, when your kingdom comes, will you appoint my two sons, one to your left and one to your right? And so Jesus, having just modeled servants, servanthood who just modeled humility for his disciples, then had to step back and be like, oh, they don't get it. 
I totally just did this for them, and they don't get it. So we had to go into this whole teaching about what is humility, and what is it like to be a servant, and what is discipleship, um, and what is seeking justice together look like in the kingdom. Um, there's one thing that really stood out to me in this interaction that we see in Luke, is that the disciples were already followers of Jesus. They were already down for his mission. And if you are in this room and you call Roots your church, I would guess that you are down for the mission of justice. You're down for the mission of being a church renowned for racial reconciliation and justice, right? They were committed to being a group renowned for the shalom of Jesus, their Messiah. So they're not unlike us. So even though we, we have a desire to do it, sometimes we can be in danger of not getting it, of not understanding where humility fits into our discipleship. Jesus warned them to be servants because they did not know what they were asking. They were saying, Lord, we want to follow you, but we want to be elevated and we want people to look at us like we are warriors. Sidebar, I really struggle when somebody says they're a social justice warrior because I really want us to think about being social justice servants. What does it look like when we engage with people out of a place of love because we want to serve them? We want to look like Jesus washing the feet his beloved disciples. Who are the people in our community whose feet need to be washed? And how can we do that to look at Jesus? Jesus said this to them because they didn't know that the, that the mission of that the mission of the kingdom, that shalom looks, is going to look like him on the cross. One of my favorite theologians, theologians Brian Zahn, says, the cross is the coronation of the world's rightful king. So when the sons of Zebedee were asking to be elevated to the next to Jesus, when he becomes king, they didn't know that they were, they, they thought they were asking, Lord, let us be elevated so people can look at us and see how holy we are, how righteous we are, how we're doing the right thing. And Jesus, and Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. You're actually asking, let me bring you alongside so that you can come underneath, so that you can serve, so that you can be humiliated, so that you can practice humility. The kingdom of God always looks like Jesus on the cross. So justice and humiliation, and justice and humility, kind of washing the feet and doing the things that aren't as sexy, that aren't as great looking on Instagram, that don't make us always feel so good because we came up with the idea instead of listening to others, often go hand in hand. And this is why I am so, this is why I am so passionate about encouraging us to be those social justice servants. So this picture of Jesus, this picture, or this picture of justice, this picture of following Jesus isn't exactly what James and John had, or and mine, or their mama. Lord, I hope I'm never that kind of mama that asks for the thing for my kids that is the very worst thing for them. Their audacious request showed them that even though they had walked with Jesus for years, the disciples were still a little confused about what the kingdom of God meant and how Jesus was going to inaugurate it. You see, they were working with a framework that was a power over kind of framework. That framework of the SUM student that says, I'm going to go in and show all these people, you know, the love of God by doing all these things for them. I don't really care that I'm giving them food or that I'm helping them with their education. I just care that they get saved. I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, do all the things that I think are the best thing to do and not really listen to them. But what Jesus is asking us to do is a, pow is a power under that we take the power of our love and the power of our resolve and the power of our desire to see their shalom and come underneath them. And this selfless love is subversive. This selfless love is a framework for us as Muslims. 
we recognize um, through this series, we wanted to help you guys recognize that we as a community are uniquely gifted. And so I want us to spend some time um, looking at uh, some of the things that we can do as a community um, to really engage and come underneath the people that we love in our community, the people that we want to show the love of God to instead of just jumping in. Because we want to kind of take Frederick Buckner's words on calling to heart. He says, by and large, a good rule is to find out this. The kind of work that God usually calls us to is the kind of work that needs the most doing, that needs to be done the most, and that the world needs for us to do. It's the place, this is my favorite line of that, the place that God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger is met. So throughout this series, I, I, one of the things I want us to be practically doing when we're thinking about Sunday morning, gathering together, we're thinking about roots, is asking God, where is, our, where is our deep gladness as a community? What are we really good at? What are we, what are we really passionate about? And how can that meet a deep hunger in the Twin Cities, specifically here at Midway, Fox County, our neighbors? How can we, how can those two things be married? And so here are some of the things that we as a leadership team um, have thought about us doing. And each of them I'm so excited about because each of them have like a really special meaning to me. So the first thing is our Laundry Love Initiative. So Laundry Love is, um, is a program that provides regular opportunities for a community to come alongside people who are struggling financially by assisting them with their laundry. And so we, part, we will partner with a laundromat and we will go, we'll spend a morning doing laundry and just pay for the laundry for everyone who's there and engage with them and learn from them and talk to them and just be there, take that financial burden off of them. Um, this is really special for me for several reasons, but the main one is right after I had Trinity, I really struggled with postpartum depression, and I was so like overwhelmed with every single part of my life. But one of the areas that was always getting neglected was our laundry. Like literally, there were like rows of like baskets of laundry all along our wall. There were baskets of laundry kind of spilling out into our kitchen. There was there was dirty clothes kind of falling out of out of closets. Like it was really bad. And, uh, and TC was working and he was doing, he was working full time and he was going to seminary and I was home with little kids and I was really, really struggling and I was kind of holding back from church. Like I just, going to church was so hard for me because I didn't want to engage with people because I was always so sad and overwhelmed and I just felt like people would judge me if I showed up to church in the same outfit every single week because that's all I had been able to do was like one load of laundry a week and my kids. And so I, I kind of like held back from church, but TC pushed me to go to church one Sunday. And we got to church, and this mom, like I call her like a mentor mom. There were these group, there was this group of women at that church who were kind of like already their kids were already like teenagers, and so they were looking for the new moms in the church and kind of taking them under their wing. And so she was part of this little group that was like always looking out for the new mom. So I knew like as soon as I walked in there with my new baby, she was going to be lined for me, and I was not interested in being judged by this woman. And so she came to me and she was like, hey, my husband drives by your house every every morning on his way to work. Is it okay if he swings by and picks up your laundry, like whatever you need washed, and I'll wash it, and when he comes back to work the next day, he'll bring you your clean gloves. And I was like, no. <laughs> like, uh, my clothes smelled like uh, baby formula, and I felt like so much shame around that because breastfeeding wasn't working. And you know, there was like, you know, there was. It was in the middle of the. It was in the middle of the 
fall. And so like I would be out with my kids and so there was dirt and stains and like I just did not want this woman to touching my clothes. And so I was like, no, it's okay, it's okay. And she said, no, you know, I really, I really want to do it. Like, I've been praying for you, and I really want to do it. And she kept pushing back on me, and I kept telling her no. And then finally I said, okay, okay, fine. Just the kids' clothes. Because I figured, like, I will take, like, if she just takes that off my plate, then I'll have room to do mine and Tisi's clothes. And she said, no, I want to take it off. Like, whatever you have that's dirty in your house, give to Jenna. And I said, no, 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 no. And she was like, yes, 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 yes. And I was like, no, 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 no. She was like, yes, 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 yes. And then we kept pushing back, and she goes, just give me a week. Just let me do it for one week. And I was like, okay, fine. One week, that'll just give me some breathing room, and then I can like pull myself up by my bootstraps and get together a system. There's always something on Pinterest to help me figure out how to do laundry. Let me figure, let me do this thing. And so I, I give it to her, and her husband, or I say yes, her husband comes and picks up. And I can't tell you the breathing room that taking the financial burden of having to wash our laundry. Because around that time too, we were having like spotty issues with our washing machine. That was part of the reason why we were so backed up. So sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I did not want to invite Satan into my life by trying to do laundry and it wasn't working. So I just said no to the laundry altogether. Um, and so taking the financial burden of doing laundry, she took that off me, but also like I can enjoy my house because there wasn't dirty clothes like spilling out in every crevice and, and in every corner. Um, I was able to return library books that I finally found that were hidden behind laundry and I like begged the library to take my finds away so I could get new books and it just opened up all this opportunity for me to actually enjoy my life. So one of the ways that we as a community are going to practice um, the love of God, we're going to show love in public is through our laundry love initiative. The next one is uh, our love in public conversations. We really want to be a community that is committed to being a multicultural community. Like, learning from each other and acknowledging that there are so many hard conversations around race and unity that aren't happening that the church can be a part of and the church can bring the love of God into. And so we are going to be hosting, um, for, the next, for the rest of the year, we're going to be hosting these conversations on race and justice called Love in Public. And the last one is the Community Center Spring Party. So for some of us who were around last year, we all went over and we helped out at a community center on university. Um, they have, it's three community centers come together and they throw this huge spring party because that's the location that's the largest, biggest. Um, and so they've invited us to come back. And it's one of these opportunities where we can actually show up because their staff is so overwhelmed with all the things they have to do for that party. And they, and they had way more people come last year than they, than they thought. And in fact, we were the only volunteer group that showed up last year. And the uh, director said, if it weren't out for us showing up, they wouldn't have been able to throw the party. So we're going, so they've invited us to come back and we're going to do that. And that's going to be another way that we can invite more families into our community. That we can care for them and love them and let, and, and, and let them know that they belong. So as I close, I want us to, um, I want to invite you to spend the next week praying about one of these initiatives, and any of these as I shared with you, my heart around them, that resonated with you. Be praying about that, asking if you want, asking God if you should be a part of that uh, initiative. Um, and next week we're going to have sign-up sheets because we really would love for as many of us as possible to show up for one of these things. Um, this really is our heart, guys, is that we be a community that practices love in public. So will you join me in prayer? So this is a uh, Christian prayer for the virtue of humility from the Jesuits. 
Lord Jesus, when you walked the earth, your humility obscured your kingship. Your meekness confused the arrogant, hindering them from grasping your purpose. Your nobleness attended to, attended to the destitute. Teach us to model your eminence, to subject our human nature to humility. Grant us a natural in inclination to view, to never view ourselves as greater than anyone. Banish all lingering sparks of self-importance that can elevate us greater than you. Let us feel, Lord, that we are in partnership with you for your kingdom and your shalom. Let our hearts always imitate.